0: Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at Church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hello. Amen. Amen. So good to hear our children are. Just, this church is alive. Our Savior is alive. Amen? Amen. 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 Yes. Happy Palm Sunday. Looking forward to Resurrection Sunday. Looking looking forward to every day we get to magnify and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, And that's my hope today. As we continue through this series called Encounter, that we... After encountering resurrected Jesus, that we get to continue to proclaim the name of Christ and we get to continue to see his faithfulness throughout the scriptures. And today we are going to encounter truth in today's message as we do in every message, but today's message is titled just that, Encounter Truth. And we will see, as we have seen in uh, the weeks past, just God's faithfulness and how when individuals in this broken world encounter a resurrected Savior, encounter the truth, encounter life, the gospel, encounter Jesus himself, that Jesus changes everything. And that's our hope today is that you don't hear from me. That's my prayer is that I would decrease and that the Lord Jesus Christ would increase and that you would hear and see Christ and not me. And so today we're going to look at the scriptures and we are going to encounter truth. And we are going to find ourselves in the gospel of John, the 18th chapter. And so when you find John chapter 18, I'm asking you to please stand as we read from God's word. John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium, so that they would not, defile, would not be defiled, but they might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them, and he said, What accusations do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, to fulfill the word of which Jesus had spoken, signifying by what kind of death that he, would, he was about to die. Verse 33. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and he summons Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... Then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there is comfort knowing that your word does not return void. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that our ears, our eyes, our hearts are ready to receive your truth and have received your truth and will apply your truth. Lord, and we respond accurately to your truth. And Lord, I just pray for this service today. Lord, that you would be magnified and glorified. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you that we are able to gather in this place, God, and lift high the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, pray that you would do what only you can do. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would rightly apply your truth to our hearts and to our lives, and we would respond with boldness and obedience to walk in your ways, to walk in your light. We pray all this in... Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so in the text today, we hear a question from Pilate that says, What is truth? And Pilate asked, What is truth? And Pilate asked a good question, but as we continue and as we will look, further into scripture, we see that his mind and his heart was not right in that question. That he didn't, write, he didn't ask that question from pure motives with a desire to learn and to understand what truth is. And it's my desire as we look and we examine God's word that we'll be able to answer that question for Pilate, but also for ourselves. We'll answer that question, what is truth? But before we examine that question, I believe we need to examine another question. Why is truth important? Why is it important that we understand and know truth? Why is truth important for us as individuals? Why is it important for us as, as a body of believers? Well, at its very basic form, why is truth important or why, why is it important to know truth? Well, there's many examples that I can give, but just a few. If you take the wrong medication or you take the wrong dosage of that medication, you can die. Right? You can, you can overdose. There, there are many complications that can happen from just taking the wrong medication. Or if you take your money and you go to the wrong financial advisor, or you, you, you make a bad investment with, with your uh, money, you can change and completely alter your life and the way of living if you make the wrong choice. And so we see here that, that, that truth and going the wrong way and not understanding what truth is, we see that, that that can have some pretty significant effects on an individual. How much more important are the effects of responding or understanding truth when it comes to spiritual things or religion or faith? How much more important, when the stakes are eternal, can everybody say eternal? Eternal, eternal when, the, when the consequences, the mistakes, and the effects are eternal, how much more important is it to understand and to know truth? Because the reality is, one out of one of us will die. And the reality is, one out of one of us, which is 100% of us, will live forever in eternity. And so the way that we respond to truth matters. It is significantly and eternally important. So now that we see that, and hopefully understand that, we can also see that truth is under attack. From the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, truth has been under attack. So truth is very important, but truth is, has also been under attack and misused or misinterpreted or questioned or perverted or challenged in many ways, starting from the garden in chapter three, where the serpent started to question God's truth and promises and words to Adam and Eve, where he began to twist God's words, he began to pervert them and get, getting Adam and Eve to question Did God really say? And what God said, is that really true? Or is there more to life than this garden? Is there more to life than what God has revealed to us? And so they began to explore and they began to to go beyond and go outside of God's commands and his promises and God's truth. And so there in Genesis 3, we see that darkness and brokenness entered into this world, entered into the garden. And all throughout scripture, we see truth being under attack. Isaiah 59, starting in verse 14, it says, Justice has turned us back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the streets, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Where is truth? The prophet is saying it is lacking. It's not here. We can't find it. I'm reminded of, of a Wednesday night that we had a Wednesday night service with our students. Every Wednesday night, we meet here down in Crossover, and we open up the Word of God. But one Wednesday night in particular, we had a deacon that was speaking to our students, just opening up the floor for discussion and asking, letting them know, hey, we love you, we care about you, we want to hear from you, what do you need from us? And just had some great, great conversation and just open dialogue to, for, for, our, for our students to, to share their hearts and to voice their opinions and to hear from them because we desire to come alongside our families, come alongside our students, encourage them, equip them to walk out their faith in obedience to God. And I remember one student that night who was, who was holding back his emotions with tears in his eyes and he just said, we want truth. Tell us the truth. You could tell and you could see that there was turmoil, that there was, there was a heaviness to his statement. There was a desire to be freed from the lies and the things of this world. And he just wanted to know what is true. You know, the same tactic that Satan used in the garden, the same thing that was used in the days of Hitler, or the same thing is, is being used today. If enough people say it, if you say it loud enough, if you get people of power and of influence to say it and and to repeat it, and you keep on saying it, and you keep on repeating it, and it's loud enough, then it must be true. But we know that that's a lie. We know that it is not true. But if you oppose it, you are a hater. You are ignorant to the truth and you are narrow-minded. And so we see that truth is under attack. It's under attack ever since the garden and it's under attack here and now today. And so what is truth? The Greek word that is used here is aletheia. It's the definition the conformity to reality or actuality it's often with the implication of dependability so the actuality the conformity of reality and it has implication of dependability it is something it is truth it is something that we can depend on it is the reality the actuality and i love that word dependability it is something that we can depend on something that we can trust something that our faith can be built upon but also dependent on too right not only is it can we depend on it and knowing that that it will see us through it will anchor us but it's also something that we are dependent on as well and as we look at this Question, what is truth? As we answer this question that Pilate asked, and that all of us must answer, what is truth? I want us, I got three points for us that I believe we can find from the scriptures, this one in supporting scriptures as well. The first point of what is truth truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. There is a source. To our truth. And his name is Jesus. He is the creator of truth. He is the one who said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 14, verse 6. Jesus claimed it himself that I am the truth. And so the truth is a person, there's a direct source to our truth. Pilate didn't quite understand it or yet quite believe it. There was something that happened and stirred in his heart that caused him to to wrestle with the whole situation, with Jesus on trial, with Jesus before him, with the truth standing there before him. In Matthew 27, we hear the words of his wife, Verse 19, it says that while he was sitting on the judgment seat, speaking of Pilate, his wife sent him a message. He said, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Now you notice she didn't say this innocent man, yet he was completely innocent. But she proclaimed Jesus as righteous which we know to be true all throughout Scripture, will point to his holiness, his perfection, his righteousness. And so as Jesus rightly proclaimed, and as Pilate's wife rightly proclaimed that Jesus is truth, there is a direct source to our truth. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all of his ways are just a God of faithfulness, And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he is truth. And so if you are seeking truth, you will not find it apart from the source of our truth. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is our truth. He is your truth. He is our absolute truth. And we can point everything that is true back to Christ. Not only is truth a person, but when we have that, we also see that truth brings power. There's a power in knowing the truth and receiving the truth. John eight, thirty-one and 32 says it this way. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you what? Free. Free. Amen. The truth will make you free. Have you ever experienced the freedom that Christ brings to your life? Have you ever been running that race or running in the ways of this world and just felt like you were running in quicksand or felt the bondage of your sin and the weight of that around you? And then you experienced a resurrected king, a savior, That the great exchange where he took your filthiness, he took your your sin and your shame, and he exchanged it for his righteousness. And he not only forgave you of your sins, but he called you sons, the beloved, friend, daughter. Have you experienced the freedom of the slavery of your sin? Your testimony... Can anyone testify of that, of God's goodness and his faithfulness? Have you experienced the resurrected power in your life? No one can deny your testimony. Your testimony is a testimony of the power of the goodness of the grace of God, of the power that Jesus brings life and gives life where there was no way He has made a way. But we also see the power. We also see the power of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we look earlier into the passage of this scripture. In chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over to the ravine of Kidron, where where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now, Judas also, who was betraying him, he knew of this place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas, then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, when we study that word and we study that the Roman cohort, right, it would have been at least a few hundred individuals. A cohort would have been at least a few hundred, if not some to up to a thousand men, military men, armed with torches and lanterns and weapons. And so if you see this picture and you get this picture, they're there in the garden. And as we looked and we understand from other gospels that, that Jesus was there praying, that his heart was, was, was under much pressure, his life was under much pressure and he was there praying. And here come this some thousand or hundreds of, of military men that was surrounded the garden with weapons and lanterns and torches. And let's pick up in verse 4. It says So Jesus, knowing all these things were coming upon him, he went forth and he said, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them so that when he said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. As Jesus spoke and said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, some commentators believe or some interpretations would say, well, they they drew back and they they got into a a military fighting stance. They're ready to battle. But others would say, and I believe this one to be more true is that when Jesus spoke those words and said, I am the powerful words of saying, I am he, that that might and his power and his majesty knocked them down to the ground. And I believe that to be true because we have seen and we have tasted and we see in the scriptures of God's majesty in his glory, and we get glimpses of it. And one day, we will get it in all of his glory. One day, we will experience him in all of his majesty. What a beautiful day that will be. But at this time, as he speaks and says, I am, and they knock over and they fall over, that would have been a good time to like retreat, right? To call off the the people, to bring the cohort, to get the men to get out of here and say, okay, We're not just speaking to just anyone. We're not just encountering anyone. But we see glimpses of the power. We see glimpses of the power of truth. Jesus is truth. Right? The scripture says that that he who rose Jesus from the grave lives within us. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives within us. The same spirit. lives within us what a powerful truth that we have in our god that we have in jesus and you know leading up to this jesus was was teaching and jesus was was letting them know about the death and his death and and all that had to be accomplished and one of the things he said he said it's great. it's better that i go away because i will send you a helper I will send you the Spirit, and that same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives within us. Ephesians six, seventeen. It says, "And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God." Hebrews will say it is, it is the Word, right? It, 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 God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, divides uh, soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And we have that power in God's word, in God's truth. I'm reminded of, of my own testimony for 19 years of, of, of me uh, living however I wanted to live, to, uh, living in, within the church, serving within the church in religion. And one day on a mission trip, when I thought, oh, everything is good. <laughs> I am good, right? I'm in the church. I'm serving in the church. And, and they asked for my testimony. And I gave my opinion. And I gave my um, credentials of, of why I was going to heaven. And it was all about me. But I'm so grateful. And I'm so thankful that, that there was two men that didn't give me their opinion. They didn't say, all right, well, well what we think and what you probably should do, but what they did was they opened up the word of God. It is the word of God that is living. It is the word of God that transforms and changes lives. And they opened the word of God, and we read the scriptures. And the word of God revealed my sin to me. The word of God revealed my need for a savior. The word of God revealed my condition. And the word of God revealed the answer and the cure. And the word of God revealed salvation in Christ. And it was there in 2007 in Costa Rica that I prayed, that I responded to the truth of God's word, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I responded by faith, trusting, turning and repenting of my sins and trusting and believing in Jesus for salvation. The truth brings forth power. The truth is our sword, our source of power. Not only that, but there is peace that comes. That truth, al- truth also will bring peace. And we know that peace is not the absence of, of, of struggles or, or of, of storms and of, of battles that are, we're going through, but it's the anchor within those storms you know, as, as Jason, Pastor Jason, as he shared last week, the prayer was not for us to be removed from these things. The prayer was not for us to be removed from this earth or from the trials or from the storms, but that he would keep us and that, he, that we would preserve, be preserved through that to proclaim the goodness of our God. And it is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, as scripture would say. Jesus said in verse sorry, in chapter 14, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then he said, continuing in that chapter, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That he leaves and he gives us The peace, knowing that this is not our home, that this is we are just passing through, but that we can have a hope in eternity. Romans 5:1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus proclaimed to be a king to Pilate, as Pilate asked. Pilate was wondering, he had had most likely heard about the triumphal entry as we read in in John 13, John 12, of of him entering into Jerusalem on a donkey as as he is uh, receiving the king's parade or the king's opening, um, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As they are waving palm trees, As they're laying down their cloaks and and he is allowing them to proclaim him as king because he understands the hour is near. But yet Jesus starts to speak about his kingdom not being of this realm and not of this world. And so Pilate sees that he's no threat to Rome. He's no threat to him. And we see Pilate ask, what is truth? But if we look at the scripture, his response in that same verse It says that when he had said this, he went away again to the Jews and said to him, I find no guilt in him. He didn't wait and and listen to the response. He didn't wait and ask and truly hunger and long for the truth of life. He didn't quite understand that Jesus himself, who he was encountering and who who he was looking at and speaking to was truth. And the reality is, as we examine the scripture, it wasn't Jesus who was on trial, was it? Pilate was on trial. And when he was brought in front of the religious leaders and the high priests, Jesus wasn't on trial. But Caiaphas was on trial. The religious leaders, they were on trial. And we see evidence that they didn't understand the truth either. And the evidence of us not understanding the truth and not rightly responding to that truth is how we are living our lives. How did the religious leaders go about arresting Jesus? They were doing it contrary and, and contradicting their own law. They were disobeying and illegally arresting Jesus. It was illegal for them to arrest anyone at night and yet they go in the middle of the night to arrest Jesus. They didn't give him a fair trial. There was no one there to testify for Jesus on his behalf. And so that was illegal too. There was multiple, at least seven, if not a dozen different laws that were broken in the arrests and the trials of Jesus. And the reality is when we miss the truth, That's where our life, that's where we're living our life, in the darkness. We're having to to lie to make things work in our favor. We're having to steal. We're having to cheat to make things happen. We're having to, to throw around our power or our status for people to believe us or to get what we want. The same thing the religious leaders were doing with the trials of Jesus. And the reality is, too, not only were the religious leaders on trial, not only was Pilate on trial, but the reality is, each and every one of us are on trial. Every single one of us, we are on trial. As the word of God is spoken to us, as the gospel is proclaimed, as Jesus, the truth, the light of this world. You see, Pilate was, was, in, he was in disarray. He was like, There's no, he, he's not guilty. And he, he tried multiple times to, to release him. But yet the crowds kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, right? You let him go, you're no friend to Caesar, crucify him. And Pilate was seeking for any way to release him. He knew that he was an innocent man. His wife even said it. And there was something inside of him that he understood Jesus is innocent. He's not guilty. He doesn't deserve this. But he never surrendered his life, he never submitted to the truth. He never rightly responded to truth, to Jesus. And he listened to the voices and the things of this world. And he responded to them. As we see in chapter 19, it says, Pilate then took Jesus, he scourged scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and he put it on his head, and put a purple robe on him, and they began to come out, excuse me, and they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps on the face Pilate came out again and he said to them, Behold, I bring, you, I bring him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And so when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered and said, we have a law. And by the law, he ought to die because he made himself to be the son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again. And he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I am? Have the authority to release you, and I have the authority to crucify you. And Jesus answered, You have no authority over me, unless it had been given to you from above. And for this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And as a result of this, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down in the judgment seat in the place called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was this day of preparation for Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried away from him, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so then, and so he handed him over to them to be crucified. You see, Jesus was not on trial. Jesus knew all things had to happen, and Jesus was prepared to go to the cross. The battle was won, not there in court. The battle was won in in, in his obedience to the Father. The battle was won in his his prayer to the Father on the floor of that garden in Gethsemane. The battle was won there as as in his heart he understood that he was to bring glory to God, that he was there to, to honor and to glorify God and to respond in obedience to the Father so the love of God would be displayed through the sacrifice of the Son. And the payment would be made in full and would satisfy the wrath of God for those who would trust and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what we celebrate next Sunday is the resurrection. Not only does Jesus give us victory over sin and over God's wrath and judgment, but he gives us victory over death. And he gives us life and life abundant. And the question is, as we examine the truth and we understand that not only were they on trial, but every single one of us, we are on trial. Every single one of us. The scripture says, there is none righteous, not one. The scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. And so we're all guilty and we're all on death row deserving of the death penalty. But do you have an advocate? He is our propitiation, Jesus Christ. He he has made the payment and has satisfied the wrath of God. But not only that but it, draw, it brings us near into the present. So not only are we not enemies of God anymore, but we have been reconciled. But not only that, we can approach God the Father as Abba, Abba Father, Daddy. And we can be drawn near and come close to God the Father as a child of God. And as we are on trial, we must understand and we must know Do we have an advocate? Do we have an advocate in Jesus Christ? Because just because Jesus made payment does not mean that all of us enter into glory, into his heaven, right? But the scripture would say it is by by faith that we are saved. It is a a response of faith repentance, of of turning from our old ways of living. uh, Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of heart, which results in a change of direction. And so no longer are we walking in darkness, but we are walking in the ways and the obedience of his command. And the question is, have you responded to truth? Have you responded to God's truth? That you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Have you repented and turned from your sin, trusting and believing in Jesus Christ? You see, truth is a person, and His name is Jesus. And our response to that truth is personal and it is relational. It's not religious. It's not oh yeah, that's a good idea. I do believe that. I know John 3:16. I know who Jesus is. But it is it is a personal intimate relationship. And it is from that relationship that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. That is only through relationship with Jesus Christ. And there is power in the blood of Christ as we continue to respond in obedience to Christ each and every day, as we continue to bear our cross, as we continue to magnify and glorify the name of Christ, to shine bright in the midst of darkness, to to shine where God has, has placed you and planted you, to proclaim Christ until he calls you home. And there's a peace and there's power that come from knowing Christ intimately and personally. Do you know him? And have you, have you responded to his truth? And so the call is to walk in that obedience. And as, as our worship team comes up to lead us into this time of response, I just ask you to respond to the Lord, to respond to God, to respond to Christ, to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ that you can't have life. You can have peace in the midst of chaos and in the midst of the storms. And that same resurrection power, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, lives within us. Don't grieve the Spirit walking in darkness. But receive and surrender and and trust and believe as you walk in His marvelous light. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go into a time of response. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that we would make much of you, that we would respond to you, because you alone are worthy. Have your will in your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.